The following audio is from First Hamilton Christian Reformed Church, where our vision is to be transformed by the gospel so that we can participate with God in his work of renewing all things in Christ. For more information about First Hamilton, visit www.firsthamilton.ca. Dear people of God, <clears throat> a week ago Friday it was Christmas. And last Thursday, it was New Year's Eve. At Christmas, we celebrated the birth of Christ. Last Thursday, we we reflected on the passing of another year. Now we are on the first Sunday of the new year in the aftermath of celebration and reflection. Perhaps today is a good time to listen anew to the words of our text, the story of Simeon in the temple and the two prophecies which he spoke when Joseph and Mary brought Jesus to the temple. This was shortly after the birth of Christ, just as we are now worshiping shortly after celebrating that birth. And Simeon's words open up a broad world historical perspective, just as we at year's end reflected on the passage of time and the significance of being brought one year closer to the second coming of the one who was born in a manger 2,000 years ago. Let me first briefly go through the story of Simeon again, highlighting some, some points that might be missed on first reading, and then pick out for special attention two images which Simeon uses to, to describe the significance of the newborn baby Jesus. From his first, pro- first prophecy, I will pick the image of Jesus as a light, and from the second prophecy, the image of Jesus as a sign. As we gather around God's words on this first Sunday of the new year, we will do well to take to heart the significance of these two images, Jesus as a light and a sign. If we compare the different Gospels on the events surrounding the birth of Christ, we notice that Luke gives us many more details than the other Gospel writers. It is only Luke who tells us the story of Gabriel coming first to Zechariah in the temple and then to Mary in Nazareth. It is only Luke who tells us the familiar story about the manger and the shepherds and later about Simeon and Anna in the temple. Bible scholars have often supposed that Luke must have interviewed Mary personally to get this information because much of what he reports would have been part of what Mary pondered in her heart. In any case, we know from the beginning of his gospel that Luke did a lot of careful research and that he interviewed many eyewitnesses to the life and ministry of Jesus at least with respect to the story of Simeon and his prophecies over the baby Jesus, it is quite possible that he got his information from Mary herself. No doubt Mary would have remembered Simeon and his two prophecies very well, not only because those prophecies said such amazing things about her son, but also because the second prophecy was addressed directly to her personally and the part about a sword piercing her heart proved to be only too true in her later life. 
Although for us it is now nine days after Christmas, Mary and Joseph met Simeon in the temple 40 days after the birth of Christ. That's how it was laid down in the law of Moses for the rite of purification for a Jewish woman after she had given birth. We can imagine that Mary was sufficiently recovered from her delivery by this time and could easily have traveled the eight kilometers from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, perhaps riding on a donkey. It would have taken an hour or two for the three of them to make the journey. Incidentally, I might mention here that the Christian singer and songwriter Michael Card has made a lovely song and video about the Simeon episode, which is available on YouTube. Don Berkelar has agreed to post a link to this video on the church Facebook page after the service today. Simeon is introduced to us as a man who was righteous and devout. He is one of a number of faithful Jews whom Luke describes in his opening chapters. Zechariah and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist, are described as God-fearing and upright Israelites, as are Joseph and Mary themselves. And now in this chapter, we are also introduced to Simeon and Anna, both of whom are described as pious Israelites who knew the God of Israel and respected his laws. These Jews represented the faithful remnant of God's chosen people who were eagerly awaiting the coming of the Messiah and believed in him when he did come. In the gospel accounts, they stand in contrast to the many other Jews of the time, especially the religious leadership who opposed Jesus and ultimately wanted him crucified. But of Simeon, Luke tells us that he was, quote, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him, unquote. The word consolation or comfort is probably an allusion to the famous passage in Isaiah 40, familiar to many of us from its occurrence in Handel's Messiah, where the prophet says, comfort ye, comfort ye my people, and proceeds to elaborate on the great messianic future. The consolation for which Simeon was waiting was the Messiah himself, whom he now sees in the person of this little baby. How did he know this? The reason is no doubt because, as Luke says, the Holy Spirit was on him. Notice the close relationship which Simeon has with the Holy Spirit. The next verse tells us that the Holy Spirit had revealed to him, quote, that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ, unquote. That is the Messiah. And the verse after that informs us that on that day he went into the temple courts, quote, moved by the Spirit, unquote. There was a special intimacy between the Holy Spirit and this godly old man. I say old man because although the text doesn't explicitly say so, it seems that Simeon expected to die before long. It was the Holy Spirit who had given him the promise that he would see the Messiah and who directed his steps to the temple that day. And it was undoubtedly the Holy Spirit who inspired him to utter the two prophecies about Jesus, which our text records. 
As was the case with many Old Testament prophets, the Spirit came upon him and enabled him to speak God's message to his people. Simeon now takes the baby Jesus into his arms and pronounces his first prophecy. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your, your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The first prophecy is often referred to as the nunc dimittis, which is Latin for the words you now dismiss. It is the so-called Song of Simeon, the third hymn that Luke records in his opening chapters after the Magnificat of Mary and the Benedictus of Zechariah in chapter one. In this first prophecy, Simeon in effect says to God, that he is now prepared to die because the promise had been fulfilled that he would not die before seeing the consolation of Israel. But then he adds the significant verse about Jesus being a light to the Gentiles, to which we will return in a moment. Luke tells us that Jesus' father and mother, you will notice that Joseph is referred to as his father, meaning his legal father, were astonished at these words and that Simeon blessed the two of them. But then Mary is singled out and Simeon addresses the second prophecy directly to her. As Luke puts it, he said to Mary, his mother, the following words, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. At that point, abruptly, Luke ends his account of the Simeon episode. We do not read how Mary and Joseph reacted to the second prophecy, nor what became of Simeon after that. Instead, the next verse is on to the prophet, move on to the prophetess Anna. You will have noticed that the two prophecies of Simeon are very different. The first is completely positive, but the second is largely negative. The first speaks about sal the salvation which God has brought in the coming of Jesus. The second speaks about the falling, the opposition, and the pain which his coming will also bring about. The first is centered on the light image the second on the sign image. Let's take a moment to reflect on these two images and what they mean for us. Simeon says that Jesus is a light for revelation to the Gentiles. So far in Luke, Jesus has been depicted as the promised deliverer of the Jews, of the ethnic nation of Israel. Even the song of the angels in the fields of Bethlehem spoke of peace to men on whom his favor rests, which could easily be interpreted to refer to the chosen people of Israel. The promised Messiah will be a light to the covenant people of God, to the descendants of Abraham. But Simeon makes it unambiguously clear that Jesus will be a light also to the Gentiles, 
to the Goyim, the uncircumcised nations of the world. In the previous verse, he speaks of the salvation which God has prepared in the sight of all people. In fact, the Greek is more explicit here and could be translated in the light of all the peoples, plural, that is, all the nations of the world. Maybe that is why Joseph and Mary were amazed when they heard these words of Simeon. Perhaps they hadn't realized that their son would not only be the deliverer of the Jews, the Old Testament people of God, but of Greeks and Romans and Egyptians as well. Mind you, when they thought about it afterwards, they would have realized that of course it would have to be true. If their baby son was really the Messiah predicted by the Old Testament prophets, then he would have dominion from sea to sea and all the nations would serve him. He was to be the fulfillment of the ancient promise to Abraham that all the peoples on earth would be blessed through him. And they would come to rejoice in this realization and welcome the new day which brought Gentiles also into God's covenant people. And of course, the significance for us is that we here in this congregation are overwhelmingly Gentiles. Perhaps there are some of us who are of Jewish descent, but I suspect that they are a small minority. As a congregation, we are overwhelmingly Gentile. In fact, most Christian churches are overwhelmingly Gentile. Not all, thank God, but most. We wouldn't be listening to this sermon today if Simeon's prophecy that Jesus is a light to the Gentiles had not turned out to be true. We ourselves are the living proof that Simeon, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, spoke the truth, as did all the other prophets and apostles who conveyed the message of God's plan of salvation in Bible times, as well as the missionaries and evangelists who have echoed their words since then. It is one of the amazing facts of world history that Jesus has become a light to the Gentiles all over the world. There is probably not a nation on earth which does not have among its citizens at least some followers of this Messiah, while in other nations the gospel is spreading like wildfires. There are amazing stories coming out of China. We hear from our brothers and sisters in other countries that new believers are added to their congregation on a regular basis. In South Korea, the gospel has spread so fast in the last 50 years that today, by some estimates, more than half of the population of this Asian land are professing Christians. All these new converts, like ourselves, are Gentiles, non-Jews, whom God has welcomed into his covenant in Jesus Christ. Simeon's prophecy was right. The baby born in Bethlehem is a light for revelation to the Gentiles. So what does this mean for us? It means that our lives should be marked by profound gratitude that we are privileged to receive God's salvation in Christ, even though we are Gentiles and live in a country that Simeon and Luke in their day didn't even know existed. And it means that in our gratitude for this improbable and unmerited salvation, we want to pass it forward to others. We will seek to be faithful witnesses in word and deed, in preaching and lifestyle, in congregational life and cultural engagement, 
to the light that Simeon spoke of. But there is another image as well, the image of a sign. Not just a sign, not just any sign, but a sign, as Simeon says, that will be spoken against. That is the burden of the second prophecy. Jesus is a sign. He symbolizes something. Like a country's flag or a company's logo, he stands for something. He stands for the kingdom of God and the truth of the gospel. He stands for the mercy of God and the reality of judgment. He stands for the message of the scriptures and the ethic of the Sermon on the Mount. These are controversial matters. Jesus is a sign that is contested, contradicted, challenged, debated. Everywhere the message of Jesus goes, it evokes hatred and opposition. And this hatred and opposition engender persecution and suffering. Simeon does not mince words in his second prophecy. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. Many in God's own people would not accept Jesus as the Messiah and fall away, while many others would embrace him in faith and participate in his rising from the dead. To this day, many Jews await another Messiah. To this day, Jesus is a sign that is spoken against, spoken against, as Simeon says, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. It is in response to the sign of Jesus that the deepest thoughts of the human heart are revealed. Ultimately, when we are confronted by the sign of Jesus, we must choose in our heart of hearts for or against Jesus. On that question, there can be no neutrality. As the sign of Jesus is spoken against, there is also another terrible reality, the reality of suffering and pain for the sake of the gospel. Jesus himself is the prime example. He preached a message of peace and forgiveness, but he himself was betrayed, falsely accused, and executed in a barbarous, shameful, and excruciating manner. Many of his followers have had similar experience right up to today. My friend and former colleague, Paul Marshall, writes in his book, Their Blood Cries Out, that the persecution of Christians in the last century has been more severe and on a larger scale than at any other time in church history. We have all read stories of what our brothers and sisters have had to endure in China, in Iran, in North Korea, in the Sudan, and in many other countries. Jesus' own mother was not to be spared. Simeon says, a sword will pierce your own soul too. Did he realize that the young woman he was speaking to would behold her son Jesus before he was 35 years old, nailed to the cross? Just as the nails pierced his body, so the sword of anguish would pierce her soul. The sign which is spoken against brings suffering in his train. The baby in the manger was born to die on the cross. But what about us? We too suffer the pain of loved ones who fall away. 
We experience the reality of the sign which is spoken against. We struggle with our own doubts and temptations. We can thank God that we live in a country where we can openly worship Jesus Christ, but we also realize that our culture is one that is secularizing at an accelerating rate and that the minimal persecution which we have to put up with in the form of mockery and derision may at any moment become more serious. The day may not be far off when anyone who defends the biblical prohibition of gay sex may be prosecuted for committing a hate crime. It is already true, as an editorial in Newsweek put it a few years ago, that those who take that position are said to represent, quote, the worst kind of fundamentalism. On the other hand, there are still many opportunities for evangelism and positive Christian involvement in politics, education, and the arts, not to mention a range of other areas. We do not know what opportunities the Lord may yet open up for us, but we do know that Jesus is both a light and a sign wherever world history takes us. So let us be reminded by Simeon's words to embrace Jesus Christ as both a light to the Gentiles and a sign that is spoken against. To that, let all God's people say, Amen. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, that you are a light to the Gentiles. We thank you that we may walk in that light. Help us to do so faithfully. Impress upon us, Lord, that you are also a sign that is spoken against. Help us to be faithful witnesses to that sign, even if it means ridicule or persecution. Please strengthen and encourage our brothers and sisters worldwide who are suffering because of their testimony to you. In Christ our Lord, amen.